The Dow plunges more than 1,000 points, erasing the rally over Fed plans. Stocks cratered in trading Thursday, logging their worst day since 2020, as Wall Street grew skittish over the Federal Reserve's high-wire effort to combat inflation without derailing the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average plunged 1,063.09 points, erasing more than 3% of its value. The tech-heavy Nasdaq index was down 5%, or more than 600 points, while the broad-based S&P 500 was down 3.6%, or 153 points. The brutal sell-off occurred just one day after stocks had rallied with the Dow finishing more than 900 points higher over the Federal Reserve's move to hike interest rates by a half percent point. With Fed Chair Jerome Powell indicated the central bank was not considering an interest rate hike of 75 basis points or 0.75%. That relief, however, quickly abated on Thursday with investors skeptical that the central bank can engineer a soft landing for the economy without hurting the labor market or prompting a recession. There's been a lot of skepticism overall about whether or not the Fed can do that. Historically, the odds aren't in their favor, said Randy Frederick, Managing Director of Trading and Derivatives at the Schwab Center for Financial Research. Concerns about the Fed's difficult task added to existing overhangs on the market, such as renewed COVID-19 lockdowns in China that could further disrupt supply chains in the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. Several banks, including Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, have warned of a heightened risk of a recession in the coming months as the Fed moves to address inflation. And some, including J.P. Morgan Chase Chief Jamie Dimon, have argued the central bank waited too long to act. While Powell's remarks downplaying the likelihood of a larger interest rate hike triggered a relief rally, investors woke up this morning and said, we're no better off than we were when we woke up yesterday, according to Jake Dollarhide, CEO of Longbow Asset Management. Interest rates are higher and there's still a war going on in Europe. There's still global supply chain disruptions, which is still affect, which is all affecting inflation. The question is... Can the Fed bring inflation to a halt without destroying the economy? Right now, there's a lot of people on the fence, Dollar Hyde added. The high growth tech sector seen as particularly vulnerable to rising rates after seeing blockbuster growth during the COVID-19 pandemic was among the hardest hit, with the S&P 500's tech sector slumping nearly 6%. Furtick noted that highly leveraged growth stocks that flourished as investors poured in money during a period of lenient Fed policy are now faced with the prospect of their debt becoming more expensive in the months ahead. Higher interest rates are going to hurt them even further, and the future isn't promising for those that are indebted and have to roll over that debt at an even higher rate next time. They have to refinance, he added. The Fed's plan is to slow demand by making it more expensive to borrow money, a shift that comes after years of relaxed policy during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
the CBOE volatility index, known as Wall Street's fear gauge, surged 28% to 32.70 points. Bond yields rose higher, with benchmark 10-year Treasury notes jumping to 3.06% from 2.914%, the highest level since late 2018. The uptick means mortgage rates will move higher, raising costs for prospective home buyers. And the bond move is the bigger story than volatility in stocks, according to Eric Friedman, chief investment officer at U.S. Bank in Minneapolis. The bond market is normally a haven for investors who want to de-risk portfolios, but with an uncertain Fed, markets are not convinced they have priced in enough hikes, Friedman said. And Amazon shares traded more than 7% lower, Meta fell 6.8%, and Apple sank more than 5%. And shares of Twitter turned 2.7% higher after Elon Musk disclosed he has secured more than $7 billion in funding toward his takeover bid. But Tesla's stock was trading lower following a report that Musk planned to serve as Twitter's interim CEO when the deal closes. So apparently there's some comments. But Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's daughters already knew this was going to happen given they and their families' cozy relations with Trump like oligarchs. They delay legislation to regulate monopolies until they can cash in on them. Not to worry, Joe announced yesterday he's paying down the national debt. The Femocrats are a laughingstock and this brain-dead hand puppet is more embarrassing by the day. Just ask yourself, since we are burning just as much fossil fuel as ever, why not pump baby pump? It might not solve the entire inflation challenge, but America returning to energy independence and supplying the EU natural gas would lower prices substantially and severely damage Putin's cash flow. But that's uh, predicated on trying to do what's best for America, which isn't the Democrats' objective. Look. Even with the interest rates going up to 2.5% or 3%, that is still a negative 5% interest rate. That will not stop inflation. High positive interest rates are required to halt inflation. Paul Volcker showed the way on that. When are you financial writers and talking heads going to get real? You are all drunk on this decade-plus long period of pathologically low interest rates. Sober up and think. The true pimps already have these things factored in to their forecast. Not factored, it's all, it is all designed, and what goes up must come down. And here's the thing. The reality of this situation, say that there does end up becoming like a recession. Say that everything, like everything in every single financial market were to crash. If you have access to a large, a large amount of cash, a large amount of capital, you could potentially go heavy into an investing and potentially make out like a bandit, right? Like we're talking that you could probably make like just disgusting amounts of money if you have cash able to be put into certain investments at the very right time. So like 
as an example, right, and this is just an example, let's just say for whatever reason, Bitcoin goes all the way back down to like a thousand per coin. You might be tempted to put all of your cash in there. And here's the thing. It, it might be a situation where if Bitcoin for some reason crashes all the way down to one grand again, and you plop thousands upon thousands of dollars in there, and then potentially it goes all the way back up to 60, maybe even $100,000 this time per coin. Now you are filthy rich. Same thing could be said to like, let's say Apple stock were to crash massively, and then you're able to put money into it, right? At its very low point in the past few years, you can make a disgusting amount of money. Let's say for some reason Tesla crashes like crazy, but then you're able to stockpile money into it right off the bat, right? Right when it hits that lowest point. Say the S&P 500 gets to an extremely low point, and then you just decide to load up the boat on the S&P 500, right? And here's the thing. This is why once you're out of debt, once you have an emergency fund, and once you are automatically investing towards your future, like towards your retirement, you should use the excess cash for opportunistic times, kind of like the one that we're in now, right? Because if this gets lower, people that have cash on the side that have the ability to just toss crazy amounts of money into this stuff can really make a lot of money. So if you want to learn how to get out of debt and master your money, right, go to 40 Phil Mickelson lost $40 million gambling in four years. And if you don't know who this is, it is one of the best golfers ever. So Phil Mickelson suffered a staggering $40 million gambling loss between 2010 and 2014, according to his biographer. Alan Shipnuck, a former golf reporter for Sports Illustrated, has a Mickelson biography entitled, Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar, which is coming out later this month. In a book expert excerpt published on the Fire Pit Collective website, Shipnuck cites documents that were compiled when government auditors conducted a forensic analysis of Mickelson's finances during the time he was embroiled in an insider trading case involving famed professional gambler Billy Waters. In the case, Mickelson wasn't accused of wrongdoing, but was ordered to pay, about, pay back about $1 million in stock gains based on his tip from Walters, who was fined $10 million and sentenced to five years in prison. And apparently that's Walters. While Mickelson was making $40 million per year during those years of gambling losses, which occurred around the peak of his career, Shipnuck did some back-of-the-envelope math to conclude that the habit might have cost him all or most of his money once his costs were accounted for. 
in those prime earning years, his income was estimated to be just north of $40 million a year, Shipnuck wrote. That's an obscene amount of money, but once he paid his taxes, including the California tariffs he publicly railed against, he was left with what? Low 20s? Then he had to cover his plane and mansions, plus his agent, caddy, pilot, chef, personal trainer, swing coaches, and sundry others. Throw in all the other expenses of a big life, like an actual T-Rex goal for a birthday present, and that leaves, what, $10 million per the government audit? That's roughly how much Mickelson averaged in annual gambling losses. And we don't know what we don't know. In other words, it's quite possible he was barely breaking even, or maybe even in the red, and Mickelson's income dropped considerably during his winless years from 2014 to 2017. Shipnuck points out that disputes over hundreds of thousands of dollars in back pay were at the heart of Mickelson's split from longtime caddy Jim Bones McKay in 2017. It poses that the real motivation behind Mickelson's exuberance over the Saudi Golf League was the funny money. The Upstart League was offering golfers to defect from the PGA Tour, potentially to do, due to depleted finances for Mickelson's gambling losses. The Saudi Golf League, backed by the Saudi government and fronted by Greg Norman, has promised players massive money and guaranteed appearance fees for fewer tournaments than they play on the PGA Tour. However, the PGA Tour has threatened to ban any player who participates in the upstart, making the prospect of double-dipping very risky. It was Shipnuck to whom Mickelson made the comments downplaying human rights concerns about Saudi Arabia, a week after he raked the PGA Tour over the coals of ha- for having obnoxious greed and not properly innovating with their media coverage. Mickelson has, by and large, disappeared since the controversy, and it remains unclear as to whether he would defend his improbable 2021 PGA Championship at the major later this month. And here's the thing, right? Like, this is why you have to be so careful when it comes down to something like gambling. Gambling is an addiction. Okay, it is a drug. Okay, the amount of dopamine that hits your brain, like like the amount of excitement that you get for having that like random win that you end up getting, is immense, right? This is why you see a lot of like retirees in Las Vegas, literally betting their whole paycheck, like their whole social security paycheck, at like the slots, right? Or playing baccarat. Or uh, blackjack. But it was also even crazier. Let's take, for example, something that's even more insane in terms of like gambling the lottery, right? The lottery is basically the largest scam, pretty much, in the world, <laughs> backed by the government, where it is a massive tax on the poor. 
because you have so many people wanting to make it big with very little effort. And you have people who their sole source of income is Social Security and they bet their whole paycheck every single month on scratch-offs. That is a real thing. I've literally seen people actually do that. Literally using their full Social Security check, cashing it out at their local grocery store, and then betting every single dime of it on scratch-off lottery tickets. And here's the thing. Gambling is addictive in every single income level, okay? This is why you could have someone like Phil Mickelson who has made millions upon millions of dollars. I'm talking like nine figures. And yet, could lose everything because he's addicted to gambling, okay? Because this is the problem. The biggest problem with gambling is that you always think you can always win it big because you've probably won money at least once gambling, right? So you probably gambled, and even if you lost one out of ten times, that like if you won one out of ten times, that one time that you won made you feel so good, and it gave you the false sensation or false belief that, like, you know what? I can win. I'm totally lucky enough to win when everything's just purely like an odds thing and the odds are never in your favor. So, it's really sad to see because you don't want to see someone who worked extremely hard, right, train themselves so well to the point that they are actually capable of making like nine figures in the career all for it to basically be destroyed by their financial choices like gambling and also taxes on top of that, right? Like, it's absolutely crazy. Like, the amount of financial destruction that someone could do to themselves regardless of their income level, regardless of how much money they have in the bank account by gambling, it's just insane, right? And here's the thing. If you are going to gamble, which I don't recommend anyone gambling, but if you are going to gamble, Only use money that you are 100% okay with literally losing that money. So let's just say that you have an excess of $100 after all of your expenses, after all of your taxes, after all of your everything that costs you to actually like live and take care of your future and also your general wants. If you have an extra $100 after everything's said and done, that excess $100, you could use that full excess of $100 to gamble. As long as you understand that you are basically going to lose every single dime of that. And if you're okay with that, go ahead. The only thing is, you have to be okay with understanding that whatever money you use to gamble you are preparing yourself already that you're going to lose every single cent of it. And that's something that you've really got to be aware of. If you want to learn how to get a debt and master your money, go to 40inbox.com.
total number of Americans collecting jobless benefits at a 52-year low. More Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week, but the total number of people collecting jobless aid is at its lowest level in more than 50 years. Jobless claims in the U.S. rose by 19,000 to 20,000 for the week ending April 30th. The Labor Department reported Thursday first-time applications generally reflect the number of layoffs. The four-week average for claims was softened some of the weekly volatility rose 8,000 from the previous week to 188,000. The total number of Americans collecting jobless benefits for the week ending April 23rd fell by 19,000 from the previous week to 1,384,000. That's the fewest since January 17, 1970. Americans work, American workers are experiencing historically strong job security two years after the coronavirus pandemic plunged the economy into a brief but devastating recession. Weekly applications for unemployment, for unemployment aid have been consistently below the pre-pandemic level of 225,000 for most of this year, even as the overall economy contracted. On Tuesday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that U.S. employers posted a record 11.5 million job openings in March and unprecedented two job openings for every person who is unemployed. A record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in March, a sign that they are confident they can find better pay or improved working conditions elsewhere. Employers have added an average of more than 540,000 jobs a month for the past year, pushing the unemployment rate down to 3.6%. The Labor Department is expected to report Friday that the economy generated another 400,000 new jobs in April, according to a survey by the data firm FactSet. That would make an, that would mark an unprecedented 12th straight month that hiring has come in at 400,000 or more. The only thing hotter than the job market is inflation. And on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve intensified its fight against the worst inflation in 40 years by raising its benchmark short-term interest rate by half a percentage point. Its most aggressive move since 2000 and signaling further larger rate further large rate hikes to come. The increase in the Fed's key rate raised it to a range of 0.75% to 1%, the highest point since the pandemic struck two years ago. The Commerce Department reported last month that the U.S. economy shrank last quarter for the first time since the pandemic recession struck two years ago, contracting at a 1.4% annual rate even as consumers and businesses kept spending in a sign of underlying resilience. What the new CNN boss has planned for Chris Como's old time slot. So CNN's new boss is not ready to fill Chris Como's old prime time slot just yet. Chris Litt, who this week replaced scandotard Jeff Zucker as CEO, told employees at a town hall meeting Thursday that he is shooting to have a new show ready in the 9 p.m. hour this fall after experimenting with the slot, according to a report. Let's try some things at 9 o'clock, Litt said, according to a recording of the meeting reviewed by the New York Times. Let's have some fun with it. Let's just try some things. But my intention is to have a show ready to launch in the fall at 9 o'clock.
Como, who previously held that slot, was fired by CNN last year after a probe into his efforts to aid his embattled older brother, former Governor Andrew Como, respond to allegations of sexual misconduct. Thursday's town hall meeting, which lasted more than an hour, was the first time Litz spoke to CNN employees since he took over as chairman of CNN this week, the report said. Litt last addressed staff at the end of April when he shut down CNN Plus, the network's costly, one-month-old, not even, <laughs> streaming service. So CNN rep declined to comment, and during the town hall, Litt was interviewed by Aaron Burnett, host of CNN's Aaron Burnett Out Front, which airs weekdays at 7 p.m., the report said. Litt, a former executive producer at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Colbert, CBS This Morning, and Morning Joe, was asked about his approach to CNN's morning programming which includes Newsday and Early Start. He told Burnett that he thought the network's morning show could be a disruptive force and added that he would work with CNN executive producer Eric Hall to figure out the future of its early lineup. Once I find out where the bathrooms are, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is sitting down with him and his team and figuring out what can this show be, he said. Lay also said he helped Chris Wallace, the former Fox News Sunday anchor who hosted a show on CNN Plus, would remain at the network. Calling Wallace a tremendous talent, Lit noted that the anchor was working on a podcast in a show with the former NPR host Audie Cornish, who also hosted a show on CNN Plus. Wallace has been buzzed about a potential replacement for Como by industry sources, but Lit has remained tight-lipped on his plans. The website, Puck recently reported that CNN is planning to keep Wallace at the network and is moving his show onto the HBO Max streaming service, which is owned by CNN parent Warner Bros. Discovery. The last few months have been a volatile time for CNN. The network's longtime president, Jeff Zucker, resigned in February after failing to disclose a romantic, whoopee relationship with CNN's executive vice president and chief marketing officer, Alison Gillust. Zucker's shocking exit occurred ahead of a pending merger between Warner Media and Discovery and raised fresh concerns about CNN's outlook. During the meeting, Litt responded to a question about potential layoffs, adding that he did not plan to make large cuts to the employee ranks at CNN. This is an organization that has had gut punch after gut punch after gut punch, Litt said and most of the organizations out there wouldn't have survived. Litt said that he has had conversations with Zucker about how CNN employees don't leak, adding that he thought that the network had gone away from that a little bit amid a flurry of reports in the aftermath of Zucker's departure and CNN Plus's demise. So let's actually check out some of the comment section. Doesn't matter, is going to fail miserably, CNN is done. Candace Owens Owens and Ben Shapiro would help the ratings. Jesse Smollett isn't busy. He'd be perfect for CNN. That's kind of funny. File under who cares. Trump at 9. Insane ratings through the roof. That would actually be funny if they actually put Trump on CNN. 
How is old Fredo these days? This is funny. Any lying lib will do, I'm sure. Interesting. Very interesting. Feel free to give your thoughts. If you want to learn how to get a debt and mass your money, go to 40inbox.com. Bath and Body Works CEO Andrew Meslow to get a $7 million payout after health-related exit. Bath and Body Works Chief Executive Andrew Meslow will get a $7 million payout as he resigns next week due to health reasons the company revealed in a government filing. Meslow, 50, has led the chain since May 2020 and has held senior positions at the company for 16 years. He is also a member of the board and is resigning as a director next week as well. The filing did not disclose the nature of Meslow's health issues, and the soaps and lotions chain revealed the CEO's exit in February, but a Wednesday securities filing spelled out the terms of his separation, which extends his non-compete agreement to 24 months from 12 months in exchange for a $7 million payout over 24 months and company-paid health coverage over the next two years. In August, the Cincinnati-based chain split off from L Brands and became a separate company as did sister company Victoria's Secret. It has been an honor and a privilege to lead this great company as CEO and be a part of the organization for nearly two decades, Meslow said in a statement in February. After much consideration and many discussions with my family, I've decided to step down as CEO so that I can focus on my health. Now here's the thing. I don't know what sort of health issue that he might be dealing with, but one thing that he could probably do right off the bat to get healthier and probably make the issue that he's dealing with a little bit easier to deal with is to slowly decrease the amount of calories that he puts into his body. For those that end up listening, he's a little bit thicker of an individual and that is probably also taxing his health system. Mezzo's agreement will become effective at the conclusion of the annual meeting on May 12th. Spokesperson Tammy Roberts told The Post. And Bath and Body Works has been a retail darling for years and it was especially relevant during the height of the pandemic because of its hand sanitizers and soaps. And shares of the company were down 1.5% to about $54 on Thursday morning. But I mean, just imagine if you got paid $7 million to quit your job. Like, how crazy would that be? And if you want to learn how to get a debt, go to 40inbox.com.